Let's open our Bibles this morning. Let's go to Luke chapter 19 this morning. Not, not that we need to know what it says, because if you spend any time in Sunday school, you know what this says, and I'm going to give you a chance to prove that in, in just a moment in a little sing-along. Okay? Luke chapter 19. If you're able, would you please stand with me, and I'll read the Word of God. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would come upon us today with your Holy Spirit, enliven our hearts, open our eyes, make ready our minds to receive your Word, that we would understand it for what it is. It is your Word to us today to help us understand how it is we should live because of the grace that you have given us through Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And he entered, and he entered and was passing through Jericho. And behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, if, if you turn back a page, you can see uh, really in verse uh, chapter 18, if you start in about verse 18, you can see what comes directly before this passage. It's the rich young ruler. Okay? And it's important to understand that this is placed in between uh, the, the, the story of the rich young ruler and the parable of the ten minas, which comes later in chapter 19. Um, and, and, and you'll see that this makes sense when we, when we see how Zacchaeus demonstrated his faith. Now, the rich young ruler, um, you know, we know that story. and He loved his stuff and he loved his money more than he loved Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Because when Jesus challenges him to get rid of his God, he went away how? Sadly, because he was very rich. But you'll see when we come to Zacchaeus, it's a very different outcome and a very re- different reaction. So in this section, Luke is talking about the Christian view of money and of wealth and how we're supposed to use that wealth for the sake of the kingdom. Now, money's not our topic this morning, but you can't get away from it because Jesus talks more about money than any other single topic. Now, why would he talk so much about money? 
Well, because everybody can uh, understand it, either with having it or with wanting more of it or not having it. So it's very important to everybody. So Jesus understands that, and he uses it to illustrate so many things about the kingdom. Now, if we took a brief poll about the character who highlights chapter 18, that would be the rich young ruler, and the character highlighted in chapter 19, Zacchaeus, which one was holier, okay, uh, the religious Jews who had heard these words at that day would certainly have picked the rich young ruler as to be the more godly one, the holier one. Um, because you remember, when the Jews looked at tax collectors, they looked at them as working for the Romans. They looked at them as using their position to extort money from their very own people and to take what was not theirs. Now, just, just a, a brief remembrance. Remember, a tax gatherer was charged with a certain amount. Anything they got over that amount was gravy, and they could keep. And as we'll see, Zacchaeus is not just a tax gatherer. He's a what? He's a chief tax gatherer. A chief tax gatherer. So... His people understood that he was working for the Romans, for an occupying um, people. Uh, so their perception of Zacchaeus was anything other than upstanding. Anything other than upstanding. Uh, and if you had asked them about the rich young ruler, they'd have said, oh, that guy's going to heaven. That guy's going to heaven, not Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus tells us himself, look at verse 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded, now, if, if I have defrauded, he knew he had defrauded, so he's not really asking and wondering if he had. So Zacchaeus understands himself to be a sinner here. Now, the rich young ruler doesn't think he's a sinner, but Zacchaeus understands that he is a sinner. He had acted as a thief in his, in his profession, and he had been enriched by his immorality. Okay? Not by his hard work, but by his immorality. As I said, he is a chief tax collector. He's the only one in the Gospels listed in that way as a chief tax collector. So Jericho is on the main stop. If you're traveling east, you're going to go through Jericho. And so Jericho, if we could put it in, in our today's terms, Jericho was the head of the Roman IRS at that time. And that's where Zacchaeus was based, right there in that area. So there are a lot of tax collectors in that area because of the traffic. They probably all report to Zacchaeus, and he is getting a what from their gathering? He's getting a cut from everything that they get. He gets a percentage. It's a pyramid scheme, isn't it? Guy at the top gets rich, and everybody else works. Well, he's a sinner, and he's rich. And he's not just rich, but he's filthy rich. Literally and figuratively. But he's a sinner who is what? He's curious about Jesus. Okay, here's your chance. What? Zacchaeus was a... We have to do the motions. Wee little man and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Now some of you are not doing the motions. <laughs> and as the Savior passed his way... He looked up to the tree and he said, get your finger, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. Not too bad. Okay. All right. Not too bad. 
some of you need some work. Uh, <laughs> that, or, or you didn't you didn't hang out in Sunday school when you were younger, maybe. Okay. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He really wants to see him badly. Okay. Now let's go back a little bit in time and remember Matthew. Now Matthew was a tax collector. His booth sat at a crossroads, and he had two Roman guards there who would enforce his demand for taxes as he came by. And, and in all probability, he knew Zacchaeus because, you know, your, your social world is not very big when you're hated by all of, your, of the covenant people. When they hate you, you can only hang out with other people who are like you. So he may have even worked for Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus may have even gotten a portion of what he gathered there as a tax collector. And, and just picture in your mind here, for a moment, if we can, if we can kind of paint a picture here. So uh, Matthew and Jesus and the disciples, they're walking down to Jericho, and Matthew comes up to Jesus, and he tugs on his, his little coat and says, uh, Jesus, there's this guy in, in Jericho that, that I really want you to meet. Okay, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guy like me, and in fact, if you remember, uh, after I invited everybody over, after, after you know, I, I came to believe in you, he was in that crowd. Okay, so when we get to Jericho, if you if you think about it, now don't tell him I told you this, but if you think about it, you know, ask, ask him to lunch, you know, and, and and see if you can talk to him in the same way that you changed my life. Maybe you can change his. Now the danger of that, the danger of thinking that way, the danger of going to the Lord and saying, Lord, there is this guy, or there is this woman at work, and. And they really need to hear the gospel. And, and Lord, will you just bring somebody into their life? You know, maybe move a new neighbor next to them or, or somebody at, at their, just, just to tell them about Christ. You know what the danger of that is? The Lord might say to you, yes, Randy, I want you to do it, okay? You, because you're already near them. You have access to them. And you say, well, that's not what I was praying for. I was praying for you to do something. Isn't that what Moses said? When are you going to free these people? And he said, as soon as you go and do what I tell you to, then I'll free those people. Well, Jesus is walking through, and there's Jericho, and this mass of people. And you can just think Matthew goes, Matthew goes, Jesus, there he is up in the tree. This is your chance. This is your chance. Well, let's go back to the rich young ruler for a minute. Look at verse, chapter 18, verse 18. And a certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And, and eventually the conversation, as you know, and Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And so he goes, Well, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he says, What? All these things I have done all my life. He says, I have kept the law. Can anybody keep the law? Uh, not perfectly, certainly. We see that. When Jesus heard this, he says to him, one thing you still lack. And, and he, he talks about possessions here. But it's only possessions because that's his God. Okay, Because that's the most important thing in his life. Sell all that you possess. Give it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Well, this was a blow to him because he had a lot of stuff. And and, and if we met Jesus on the road today and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He might say to you, 
what it might not be your your possessions it might be your i don't know whatever it is in your life that is your god now hopefully he is your god but if you come to him and say how do i have salvation he may challenge you with something that you don't like okay what was it that when you became a believer that you had to leave behind maybe it was friends maybe it was a complete lifestyle that had to, you had to leave behind maybe it was your family that you had to leave behind because they were they were against what you were doing they were against the things of Christ and you had to go out on your own sometimes the lord calls us to that but when he calls us he also provides us with everything that we will need to achieve what he calls us to do now, the disciples here, just think about this. Look at verse 23. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom. It was humanly impossible to do something like that. For someone whose heart is so sold out to anything but God, it is humanly impossible for them to change. But it's not impossible for Christ. And when they heard this, the disciples are shaking their head, going, well, who in the world can be saved? If this guy couldn't, who can? But he said, the things impossible with men are possible with God. Okay, keep that in mind. Turn over to Luke 19. Jesus has for us right here, if we want to put it this way, the poster child for the impossibility of a man entering the kingdom. Zacchaeus. Tax gatherer. Chief tax gatherer. Extortioner. Thief. You know, just it all piles up on this guy. And so here is a man who, humanly speaking, has no hope of salvation. He was lost and he needed to be found. He was a sinner. He was in need to be forgiven. And Luke is making this very clear and nobody is expecting what happens in this story to happen. Nobody thinks that Zacchaeus has really a shot at salvation because he is so bad. And understand, it's apart from Christ, there is no hope. Okay, There is no hope. Don't ever think that there is another way of salvation outside of Christ. Only Christ and what he calls us to. Only his work can we rely upon. No human efforts, no human endeavors get us there. Now, our sins might not be illegal. Our sins might not be great as in held up to Zacchaeus's sins. We might not be involved in some terrible immoral endeavor in our life, but there is still, because of our nature, sin which resides in our heart. Now, I, I'm just, you don't get up and go back and rush the baby, but Cynthia's back there with her little girl, okay? And, and that's fabulous. She's a precious little girl, but her heart is touched by sin. And you think, oh, Rand, Really? That little precious little girl, yeah. But she's never done anything in her life, yeah. David said what? I was sinful in my mother's womb. And she is as much in need of salvation as everyone else. Okay, as everyone else. Now watch what Jesus does here. Look at verse 3 of chapter 19. 
And he was trying to see, that Zacchaeus, who Jesus was. And he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Now, small in stature. If you've ever been to some old log cabin from the 1700s and you go through a doorway, you usually have to duck down. Okay? So if you go back 2,000 years, small in stature, Zacchaeus might have only been 5, 5'2", something like that. Pretty small in stature. So he climbs up in a sycamore tree. Now, a sycamore tree is in, in the Middle East is much more like a, a, a big, sturdy bush than a tree. But it's sturdy enough that you can climb it and get above everybody else and see what is going on here. And this is one of the things that really, I think, testifies to the truth of the gospel, that, that little details like this are shown to us. Now, sometimes you see in, in the gospels and, and in, in, the, in Scripture that things are just stated and we go on, okay? When Christ died on the cross, the tombs were open and uh, the believers walked around and it's just one verse and it's not talked about again. Now, why is it not talked about again? Well, everybody saw it, so they don't have to explain it. Well, here we get a lot of details. We get a lot of details that, that are particular to this event. He climbs up in a sycamore tree. He wants to see what is going on. There's no description really of how Jesus changed his heart. There's only a description that Jesus was there and this guy's life was never the same. Jesus shows up for lunch and the guy's life is never the same. Now notice what happens here. Uh, jump down to uh, verse 8. And Zacchaeus stopped and said, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Well, where does he come up with this number four times as much? You go back to Exodus 22, okay? And uh, you get an idea of what this means because he's talking about uh, the, the aspect of, of restitution there. And if you defraud somebody, you have to give back a certain amount as a penalty for your defrauding them. So he knows the law. He knows the Old Testament. He just has no, it's no impact upon his life. He's not living it out in any fashion. Now, just think for a moment here what, what, what this all means. Jesus says what to him? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I'm coming to your house for lunch today. Now, think about that. Somebody that you've never met says, hey, I'd like to come to your house for lunch today. Okay? Mr. Ron, I'm going to come to your house for lunch today. And you go, well, great, I'm not going to be there because I'm going to be across the street. Okay? But you think, is this normal etiquette in the ancient Near East? And, you, and the answer is no. It's not normal etiquette today. It wasn't normal etiquette then. You waited for an invitation to be extended, and then you came in. That's why we see so, so in, in all the other passages, an invitation is given to come to lunch. Well, Jesus looks at him and says, I'm coming to your house for lunch. Now, what is Zacchaeus' response to this? Verse 6, and he hurried and came down and received him how? Gladly, great. I've been waiting for this opportunity. In fact, Jesus, I came looking for you so that I could talk to you and see you and find out more about you. But, but understand, Jesus is walking down the street 
in Jericho, and he looks up in the sycamore tree, and he says what? Does he say, hey, you in the sycamore tree, why are you up there? No, he calls him what? My name. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch. You see, Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus, but in reality, what? Jesus is looking for Zacchaeus. In fact, Jesus already knows his name. It's not a surprise that Zacchaeus is up in the tree. Jesus is ready for him. He's waiting for him. He's looking for him. You think we're, you say, well, yeah, it, talks, it tells us to knock and to seek. But it's not a surprise to Jesus because he's been waiting for us. He's been looking for us. Now, if you grew up in the Presbyterian church like I did, if I say the red hymnal, does that strike a note in anybody's mind, the red hymnal? Okay, now I think this hymn is in the red hymnal. It's not in our hymnal today, but it's an old hymn. And, and Robert, it's, it's to the tune Finlandia. Da, 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 da. Okay, so keep that in your mind. Here's the first, first, cor- first verse. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew... He moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I who found, O Savior, true. No, I was found, was found of thee. So we think about that for a moment. I'm out looking for Jesus. And when I find him, what do I find out? He was the one who was coming after me. That's what is going on here. Jesus has been after Zacchaeus, and he gets him. And he says, I'm coming to your house for lunch. The seeker is not Zacchaeus. It's Jesus. Now, Jesus comes looking for you. The Westminster Confession lays it out this way about effectual calling. Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery and enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ and renewing our wills, He persuades and enables us to embrace Christ, who is freely offered in the gospel. See, it's the effectual calling. At the end of the sermon, because we usually wait till the end, I can give an invitation. And that's Randy's calling. But If the Lord calls you unto himself, you cannot deny it. You can sit sit in the pew and go, oh, Randy wants me to come down. I really don't want to come down today. I just don't feel it. But when the Lord moves your heart and draws you unto himself, there is no denying it. There is no saying no. This is effectual calling because it is the work of whom? God's Spirit, who convinces us of our sin, of our misery. He enlightens our minds in the knowledge of Christ. He renews our will. Where is Randy's work in all this? Uh, It's not listed here. It's all the work of God's Spirit. He persuades and enables us to embrace Christ, who is freely offered in the gospel. Jesus did not wait for an invitation to Zacchaeus' house for lunch. He says, I'm coming. He says, your life will never be the same. He doesn't say that, but we see it in the scripture. He says, I can give you satisfaction. You have been seeking satisfaction in all the wrong places. You have sought it and not found it. You've got lots of stuff. You've got lots of power according to this world. But your heart longs for something else, Zacchaeus. 
Not until Christ lays hold of him does he understand this. And as I said, he says, I'm going to restore everything fourfold. Now, why is this so important? Because he wants to do what God calls him to do. He wants to now be obedient to Jesus Christ. Obedient to our Heavenly Father. Obedient to the Word of God. See, that's what happens when your life has changed. You think, oh, well, yeah, I became a Christian. Well, how did your life change? Well, I was pretty much a good guy to start with, so didn't didn't change that much. When the Lord changes your heart, he gives you a new one. When the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, you want to follow him. You want your life to be conformed to the things of Christ. You don't want to just say, well, I've got Christ here in my hip pocket, and I'm just going to continue to live now in the way I was. That's not the way that it works. You want to do what God's word says. Evidence of a changed heart is wanting to do even the hard things that God calls us to do. In 1922 and 1923, for about 18 months, there was a revival that was centered on a small uh, Northern Ireland town, and the main work within that town was shipbuilding. And the shipbuilding company that was centered in that town, Harlan and Wolf, was the company that built the Titanic. Okay, So... This revival lasted, as I said, about 18 months, and it was centered on the preaching of a Presbyterian minister who preached the saving message of Jesus Christ. And thousands of people in this town and the surrounding area were converted in that 18-month period. In fact, there were so many shipyard workers that were converted in 1922 that they began to bring back to the shipyard all the stuff that they had stolen over the years. Now think about that for a moment. The shipyard had to build a new building on the grounds to house all the stuff that the new Christians were bringing back that they had stolen over the years. And in fact, after about six months of this, the shipping company put up a sign at the gate that says, please do not return any more stolen items. We have no more room to hold them. Okay? When Jesus comes to lunch, your life has changed. And there is evidence of that change. The point here, it means Zacchaeus gives away half his stuff. He pays back to anybody he has defrauded. It's not payback. It's evidence that his stuff is no longer his God. That he has found the true God, the one God here in the person of Jesus Christ. Salvation is evidenced in his actions. Because his heart was changed. Be careful who invites themselves to your house for lunch. Now I want everybody to understand, for 14 years I've been here and this is not, this church is just not normal. Now you think, think, oh, what what do you mean by that, Rand? What do you mean by that? The list of things that have happened and and evidences of generosity are just too long. And, And sometimes I can't tell you because they've been done in secret so many times. 
Many times, anonymous gifts, envelopes that are handed to me on the sly with the words, Randy, make sure this gets used in the right fashion. Or, Randy, make sure, you know, somebody who needs this gets this. Okay? Gifts given that nobody will ever know about. Works done that nobody else will know about. Okay? Um, People not wanting to have the spotlight shined on their generosity, only wanting the things of the kingdom to move forward. There's just so many things like that that have come on here. It is clear who's been to your house for lunch. Okay? My pastor friends don't have this experience, most of them. They do not understand people who, whose, whose lives are really changed and are evidenced in their generosity. Remember, this is dealing with, with money here in this. And who is your God? As I said, it is clear who has been to your house for lunch. And that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we've been challenged here as we go through some of these meal stories of what we are to do as believers about how we are to reach out and use food as a vehicle to help smooth things so the gospel might be presented, to help make things easier, discussion easier, to to invite people and make them feel at home and, and welcome. But here in this passage, you just invite yourself. And we understand in salvation, that's the way it is. You come, you do the work, you call us, and our lives are never the same. And you call us to something that is so foreign to us before we were believers. The the way that we're to live, the way that we're to, to understand who we are and whose we are. We belong to you. And you call us to live in a completely different way. Lord, for those of us who, who understand this today, who you've, you've come to our house and, and had lunch and, and our lives are never the same, there, there might be some here today who don't understand this, who, who go, well, I, I've, I've always known about Jesus. Maybe their hearts have never really been changed. They only know about Jesus in their minds. Today, Lord, we pray that you would come upon them, that their hearts would be changed that they would understand their sinfulness and understand their need for forgiveness, and that forgiveness comes only from you, and that their lives will never be the same because of your grace and your mercy. Come upon us, Lord, that our lives might be demonstrations of this great gift of salvation, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.